Welcome to Convo Lounge Expression Exposure Experience. Welcome to the Convo Lounge podcast uh, with myself, Yan Dilenuku, where we discuss all things unemployment in Botswana, not only discussing it uh, with the aim to understand it, but also trying to find solutions uh, towards unemployment. Now, in the midst of this, we also want to highlight or showcase high value talent uh, that has been through Botswana's education system. They might still be adding value to Botswana's economy, but also talent that um, is also seizing academic opportunities outside of Botswana. We might say talent in the diaspora. So today we're joined by an interesting um, individual. Uh, he goes by the name of Tinashe. Um, I, won't, I don't want to butcher your surname, so you're going to tell us your full name as well as try and understand what his academic journey has been like, um, what he did at the University of Botswana, and how does he find himself all the way in the UK today? We're going to talk all things, the education system, the difference between these education systems and what he's seeing in terms of opportunities. And I should welcome to the Convo Launch podcast. How are you doing? Um, um, hi, Andile. Thank you for having me. And um, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. So uh, my name is Tinashe Nguenya. So that's it. As yeah. simple as that. Okay. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? Um, Tinashe means the Lord is with us. Oh. Yeah, Emmanuel, if you had to translate it to. <laughs> yeah, it's a Christian name. So, <clears throat> um, so just a, a quick, a brief... Um, overview of my academic journey. So I started uh, schooling at Bosela Primary School in Extension 16. Mm. Um, that's where I did my primary school. Then I went to Sasara Takamam, uh, Junior Secondary School, <clears throat> Block 3. Then from then went um, to Lidumang Senior. And from Lidumang Senior, um, I went to UB, did a Bachelor's in Mechanical Engineering. And in UB, I went for student exchange in the US for five months at the University of Miami. Then from there, I went to um, the Central University of Technology in Free State in South Africa for another five months. Then I, uh, when I got done with my bachelor's, worked a bit um, in KBL for about five to eight months. Mm -hmm. Then I got a scholarship, um, the MasterCard scholarship in UCT, where I enrolled for a master's in mechanical engineering, um, focusing on computational biomechanics. So I was modeling... Um, Cerebral aneurysm thrombosis, which is just um, looking at how clots form in um, bulging um, arterial vessels in human beings. Then from there, I went to Cambridge for one year where I did a master's in future propulsion and power, uh, just working on designing aircraft engines and anything that flies and produces power. Then at the moment, I'm in Oxford. I'm doing a PhD in still in future propulsion and power and I'm doing a project by Rolls-Royce. Yeah, so many complicated terms um, in terms of what you've studied and what you continue to pursue in your career. Um, and I just want to go back to junior secondary. Was this always clear or this is something that you identify along the way as you have a curious mindset? Um, were you always intentional about what it is that you're doing now? Um, I think from, from junior school, um, my interest in engineering um, was mostly nurtured by me taking classes in design and technology. So I took design and technology from junior secondary school. 
then I took it until senior school. So um, was that a, sorry? Was that a module in in school? <clears throat> in school, yeah, design and technology. Yeah, so um, it was one of my options. Mm. So it was one of the options that I did in junior secondary school. So um, we designed a couple of um, things. I think um, each year you get a topic, um, and there are different problems that students are given to pro- to solve um, in different ways. You come up with a portfolio, you do some drawings, some literature review, then at the end you do a design and make project. Mm. Yeah, so it's one of the things that helped to nurture my my interest. And I kept on with it and it led me here. <laughs> that was in junior secondary school. Junior secondary school, yeah. Ah, interesting. So um Let's talk about, you also spoke about different exchange programs that you've been a part of. I don't know whether that was in UB. That was in UB, yeah. What was that? Was it a club or was it part of your uh, degree? You said you studied mechanical engineering. Uh, What was that? Uh, So UB has partnerships with different institutions and different organizations that can provide um, students with um, student exchange experience. So one of the organizations that uh, has a partnership with UB is ISAP. So ISAP um, would allow you to exchange between universities um, in Africa, um, in North America, Europe, and you just um, have to apply within UB. And as a, as, as a Mozana, the University of Mozana would um, pick up the bill for you to go abroad, but you need to have um, a very good GPA. performance, yeah, a very mm. good GPA. Mm. So... Um, yeah, I had a good GPA and I was able to go for the first student exchange. And the second one, there was a partnership that formed between the University of Botswana and the Central University of Technology, mostly around manufacturing and um, transfer of skills. Um, and I also applied for that and there wasn't that much interest from some of the students. So for me, it was a, another good opportunity to go and experience something different. Okay, so you went to Germany and then you went to? No, no, I went to the US. Um, US? I was in Oxford, Ohio. Mm. Then I went to uh, the Central University of Technology in Free State. Okay. Yeah. So tell me this, um, you're a student at University of Botswana, uh, and here you go on exchange program to the US, uh, but also to South Africa and Bloemfontein. Um, How does this mold or shape your academic experience when you get back to Botswana to complete your degree? What, what, what What are some of the key experiences or insights that you've gotten from these experiences? Um, I think one of um, the biggest eye-opening experiences was when I went to the U.S. So uh, before I left Botswana, I think my my ambitions were a bit limited. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't dreaming big enough. Then when I went to the U.S., um, I was fortunate to meet some people who had um, a lot of vested interest in my personal growth. Then we had a couple of conversations and we talked about the different possibilities and different pathways that I can follow uh, as a mechanical engineering student. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to Botswana, I felt like I was settling for less and I should... um, look for all of these things that um, they just implanted in my head and kept me dreamy all the time. So I was always looking for a way out and um, to just branch from just the general mechanical engineering and try other subspecializations. And what are those pathways? Like what what, what are you getting from these, what I call it, mentors, Mentors. coaches? Yeah. Um, So... I mean, one of the, um, so mechanical engineering is very versatile. So uh, we cover a lot of things from different engineering disciplines. Um, So you could go one into maybe banking and finance. Mm -hmm. Um, You could go into research and development and you could go into consultancy. And uh, there are many other subspecialties that in in the University of Botswana you're not um, exposed to because in the University of Botswana, there are sort of like uh, four main subspecialties and like, 
not quite intriguing and um, interesting, I think, in the, in, in the global market mm-hmm. for other people. So I just wanted something outside of whatever the university was offering me. But also the, the Universal Bhutan experience was pivotal in my personal growth. And uh, yeah. Okay. So what are you choosing? I want us to talk about it from a problem solving point of view, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the different, I think, categories of examples you've given, whether it's banking, consulting or research, academia, it's very role based. Let's talk about it from a problem solving uh, point of view and why you continue to specialize in the areas that you're specializing in. What are some of the problems uh, that you're curious about and providing solutions towards? Um, so one of the biggest problems that uh, mankind is facing at the moment is the issue of global warming. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, the largest polluters in the world uh, is the aviation industry and also um, households and because a lot of power that is generated actually, I think about 30% of the power that is generated um, in Europe and the US is spent just on air conditioning. Mm-hmm. So um, that is what I'm currently working on for, for my DPhil, for my uh, PhD. So um, there's, a, there's a net zero 20, by 2050. Um, so the European Union is aiming to decarbonize uh, the whole aviation industry. So, um, in my program, we are working to come up with different solutions to solve um, these problems. And um, other people are working on changing the whole, the way vehicles work, the aircrafts work, and, and also the different systems that are used to power them. And other people are working on different fuels and different ways of burning the fuels and trying to substitute from um, your fossil fuels, um, like your normal kerosene, to maybe burning hydrogen. Because hydrogen, when you burn hydrogen, you get water at the end and you don't get any carbon dioxide. So those are different problems that we're working on, or just issues of efficiency. If you improve efficiency, you burn less fuel and less carbon dioxide goes into the air. Yeah, yeah and also just um, energy storage and how you store energy. Because with solar, if you're old, you're going to be using solar or some of the renew- solar, wind, and some of the renewables, um, you don't have the same amount of energy throughout the day. So you have solar during a limited number of hours, and during that time you have a lot of energy, but you can't store it. So that's another problem that people are working on. So, I mean, this is obviously an area that you're exploring a little bit more deeply through your PhD. Um, Curious, as talent in the UK, I mean, you're studying at Oxford University. Um, Is there room for you to apply those skills in Botswana? Or this is something that you're probably going to have to play a role globally and not from Botswana? The goal for me... (sighs) I see things from a global perspective nowadays. <laughs> so um, I don't want to, to limit myself and confine myself to the problems that people are having in Botswana. Mm-hmm. But also um, a lot of the skills that I, I, I'm getting from Oxford and I, from different places, they're, they're transferable. So at the moment, I'm working on aircraft engines. And um, the same skills that um, I'm using to solve problems on aircraft engines, we could possibly use them to solve problems in our Murupule power plant, or maybe to come up with different energy storage systems and also just to find more efficient heating systems. And so the skills are still applicable, but the the, the specific specialization that I'm on, it's, it's a bit niche and you don't have um, enough infrastructure and um um, I think maybe academics and other people that I'd work with. So the ecosystem in Botswana is a, is, still, is, is not yet there. Still, okay. Yeah. Still coming up, still emerging. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So curious, um, what are the main differences that you're seeing in your learning experience? I mean, you've, 
had an experience in, in, in South Africa. I don't know how long you were in Cape Town for. You've had an experience in Bloemfontein. You've had an experience in Botswana, Khaburoni, and you've, you're also currently having an experience in the UK. With this exposure to different education systems, what are the key differences that you're picking um, in the education systems in these respective countries? Um, I think one of the biggest um, differences is, uh, is an issue of access across many things. So it would be an access one mm-hmm. to industrial leaders, access to uh, different resources, and also the amount of funding that is given to um, to research. And it, so the other nations that are investing our whole GDP just on trying to solve <laughs> <laughs> some some problems. So that is the main difference. And also um, in the UK, most of the research that we are doing is um, solving problems specific to, we are working with industrial partners. So there are specific industrial problems that are trying to solve. Mm-hmm. And um, in UB, sometimes we, we mostly do maybe engineering for the sake of engineering, just advancing um, the our fundamental understanding of the different um, physical problems but some of it doesn't go or ultimately lead to the generation of new products on the market. And Oxford has a very good ecosystem. So if at all they feel like your research has potential to be either copyrighted or getting intellectual property from it, they spin out a lot of companies every mm-hmm. year and um, they help their students to to start up these companies and provide like a very good ecosystem and funding for that. And they get something from it and also the students are benefiting, which is something UB is trying to do, but we are not yet quite there. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to go for a quick break. But before that, um, you know, it sounds very simple when you're now saying it, but your journey from UB um, to UCT, now you've won some scholarships to Oxford. Can you share a little bit about that and how that uh, journey came about for you? Um, so for me, the journey, I think um, it began after I came back from the U.S. Um, so at first, my goal was to go back to the U.S. So I applied for a couple of scholarships in the U.S. Um, then I applied to a couple of institutions. Um, then I was admitted to uh, the University of Rochester, New York, before COVID hit. And I couldn't go to, um, to the University of Rochester. Then I also got a lot of rejections and um, through those rejections and uh, some of the feedback that I got from the people that were reviewing my applications, it, it um, helped me to improve the way I structured my applications. And I was able to get two scholarships, one at the University of Cape Town to do a master's um, through the MasterCard Foundation. Then the second one through the Rhodes Scholarship to do either a master's, two master's actually, with the Rhodes Scholarship, you have to do like two years in the program or you could do a PhD. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was fortunate enough to win both of them in the same year. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, cool. Going to for a quick break. Um, if you're still tuning in, this is the Convalanche podcast where we talk all things um, unemployment and finding solutions towards unemployment, uh, but also showcasing a high value talent that could contribute solutions to this story. Conva Lounge. Expression, exposure, experience. Welcome back to the Conva Lounge podcast, uh, where we're talking all things high value talent. That is, um, I think, somewhat um, a good model uh, or a case study uh, towards going through 
um, the academic institutions, but also being relevant to industry while still in the academic space. So we're having a conversation with Tinashe um, and really highlighting his journey from Botswana's education system uh, to some of the opportunities that he's managed to get, uh, whether it's the MasterCard Foundation Scholarship for him to do a master's in UCT uh, to the Rose Scholarship, where he finds himself currently in Oxford uh, studying his PhD. It's quite a complicated um, degree that you're doing. So feel free to re-mention it again in terms of what exactly it is that you're, you're doing for your PhD in Oxford. But before you went for the break, uh, you spoke about some of the differences between uh, the education systems that you've been a part of. And, and I think a big part for me has been the access um, to industrial players and also access to funding and the idea that uh, research in industry is, you know, uh, industry is not only investing in research or economies are not only investing in research, but industry is literally working with you on that research and in solutions. And to a certain extent, one would say, uh, well, at Convalanche, well, our theory of change is that if we could get it right from a research point of view, um, you know, we could see less unemployment in the country or more talent becoming relevant um, to industry. Curious to know, um, with your experiences, your thoughts on, well, you've seen the gaps uh, between Botswana and the other countries, whether it's South Africa and the UK. Uh, what do you think is the way forward in terms of solutions and how do we close that gap? Um, <clears throat> well, there, there are a couple of um, things that we can do in terms of um, solutions. So there are certain solutions that would come from um, either maybe business minds, engineers, and scientists. Uh, those would be like technical solutions. Mm -hmm. And also there are other solutions that would come from legislation and um, maybe yeah, bills from, from parliament. Okay. And also um, I think parliament can facilitate a lot of um, changes that engineers and business people want to do. So starting with, um, with engineering, I think um, we need more collaboration between um, academics and the industry in Botswana because um, academics and industry are working in isolation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes academics would be solving the wrong problems or not addressing the needs of our industry or advancing um, the ecosystem um, for the different fields within within the nation. So if you can get that collaboration, then also if you could have more money, um, funding for different research projects, because um, Africa or Botswana, to be specific, uh, we've been left behind on a couple of developments. Um, many nations are now transitioning to the fifth industrial revolution, um, fourth industrial revolution, and they're incorporating AI, they're incorporating big data and many things into the way they do things, but we are not yet quite there. And even if you try to get there, we can compete with them if you don't um, pour in a significant amount of money into research. Then also just restructuring our education system and training people um, for things that are relevant to, to our current market. I think these are some of the things that would help. Then also for parliament to create um, conditions for, for business people, for engineers to be able to implement and do some of these things that they want to do without um, that much difficulty. As a young person, this is generally, do you feel like there's hope? Do you feel like some of these changes that you see need to happen? Uh, could end up happening or would have will happen what do you feel like as a young person a young Mozana? Um I feel that there's there's hope um, there are a lot of educated ambitious and very energetic Botswana 
some of them, they're just waiting to get an opportunity to come back home and to be able to make uh, these changes. So I think if you can create an environment um, that would make it easier for them to be able to come up with these drastic changes. And for those that have been in the industry for the longest time to not resist changes and hold on to archaic practices that no longer serve the needs of the, the current. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, look, you've gone through the same education system that another young person has gone through in Botswana, uh, but you find yourself in two different places and positions. Um, what advice would you give any young person who's listening to you in terms of um, making themselves relevant uh, to industry or making themselves employable or making themselves relevant enough to attract uh, global opportunities? Um, I think the first advice would be for them not to be one dimensional because um, one of the biggest problems that we have is that we have academics that know only academics or just focus on academics. So they need to um, do some extracurricular activities. They need to move into leadership. They need to be active uh, on different issues. Could it be climate change or whatever issues that are relevant within their, uh, their discipline? Mm. And that would give them a better view of the world and it would put them in a good position to be able to make judgments and um, move into spaces uh, following like current and relevant trends. Um, so that would be the first thing. Then the second thing would for them to <clears throat> spend as much time as they can um, learning the things that they need to do because um, you as like your value within the market um, is proportional to how much you know or how much you've mastered the craft. And if you really spend time learning and mastering the things that you're doing, once you're given an opportunity, you won't be you won't, you won't squander that opportunity. So many people squander opportunities when they get them because they're not ready for those opportunities. And um, also networking is very important. So um, your net worth and your network, um, they correlate. And many people try to focus only on getting academic qualifications, but not interacting with the people that would open doors for them or would be open for collaboration and also share different opportunities in different spaces and spheres. Mm -hmm. So that would be another thing for them to do. And just don't cheat the system. Go through the process and um, you'll reap the rewards. Mm. Are you able to give like practical examples of how you're personally applying that um, in the UK? Um, in the UK. Uh, so for me, uh, yeah, so currently I'm, I'm, I'm working part-time for, for QDOT, right? So when I was in the University of Botswana, some of the skills that I'm applying in my current job are some of the skills that I learned in, in the University of Botswana. Mm -hmm. So I did some computational modeling for um, my capstone project in, in the University of Botswana. Then when I went to the University, uh, Central University of Technology mm -hmm. in, in Free State, I learned CAD modeling and um, just engineering design, and I got certification for that. Mm -hmm. Then uh, when I went to Cambridge, um, I learned a lot of things on heat transfer and aerodynamics. And yeah, I tried my best to, to really master some of these things. So when an opportunity came out for a junior engineer in QDOT, I applied for that and the skills that I'd learned were relevant. And even when I went for an interview, um, I was able to demonstrate that my skills are relevant and I'm able to contribute to the company, even though there are certain things that I had to learn along the way. And um, as soon as I got hired, the next day I was given a task to do and to apply those skills. And I was able to demonstrate that indeed the things that I said I could do within my interview, mm -hmm. I'm able to do and apply those things. And um, yeah, we are pushing um, and the company is, is making some good progress. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious to know about your mental health journey. Um, 
here you are. It seems as though you've been doing, you know, your master's and your PhD simultaneously. You, you should actually unpack that story. I think it didn't come out <laughs> quite clear what was happening there. And then today you're also multitasking. It's your PhD program, but you're also working as well. Um, so yeah, you know, your mental health journey, how's that been? Is, is that have been okay? Or how do you deal with your mental health when it comes to academics? Um, so <clears throat> I think I've been fortunate to meet people that really, that are really invested in my, my success and are also understanding and have been mentoring me and guiding me toward, um, yeah, in the right direction. So just to give you like a brief uh, overview of what I've been discussing <laughs> yeah. with. So, um, yeah, I, I, I did um, two masters at the same time. I was doing a master's in Cambridge. Then I was also trying to complete my master's at the University of Cape Town. And um, it's, it's, it's tes- taxing physically, but uh, I think th- the thing that I, I was able to appreciate is how different engineering fields are interrelated and how principles from one field could be applied easily in another field. So when I went to Cambridge, um, I was struggling with a couple of problems on what I was working on in, in the University of Cape Town. Then I learned new skills in Cambridge that allowed me to solve that problem. So, um, which was really good for me. And in terms of mental health, um, I try to, to keep in touch with friends. I go out once in a while and then, you know, yeah, try mm. to have fun and not just be all work and no play. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Interesting. So it's not everyone who makes a decision to go to the highest level of academia. Um, if somebody is listening to you today, what would you say is the value of going to the highest level of academia? Um, masters or even degree level. Um, what, 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 what do you think is the value um, looking at your own personal journey? I, I think for me going, going for a PhD, it gives me versatility and also I'm able to, to understand certain problems um, at a fundamental level because uh, there are certain prog- progresses that we can make in fields unless you have a fundamental understanding of a system uh, to be able to make drastic and um, groundbreaking changes to the way maybe a system works or to the way we understand um, the inner workings of, um, of different um, mechanisms. So that is one for me then as a PhD student, it has taught me, I think the most important skill is to learn how to learn. So um, you need to be able to learn. And when you're confronted with problems, go back, move back, then invest some time learning a new skill to be able to solve that problem, then move to the next stumbling block, mm-hmm. go back and learn new skills. And no one teaches you anything at a PhD level. They just guide you and they just give you feedback on how you are progressing. So I think that's the, that's the value of a PhD to learn how to learn. So I can apply my skills on different fields and just um, not on aerospace because uh, I'm working on a slightly different problem for my PhD uh, to the one that I'm working for. Um, I'm working on for QDOT, okay. but I'm able to translate those skills um, to solve that problem. And also what I was working on in Cape Town is on the intersection of engineering and um, medicine, and I'm able to apply engineering principles um, to solve medical problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel that's that's the value of research, just teaching you how to learn and how to adapt. Okay. So you seem to be moving at a very 
fast pace, um, you know, research after research, no breaks. Um, have you had any breakthroughs in your academic journey in the sense that like you're exploring the intersection between medicine and engineering? Are you at a point where outputs and outcomes of your research where you say, oh, I researched on this, I studied this, it's being applied and you move to the next or you're just like, oops, I'm researching and I'm contributing <laughs> to the literature review. Somebody else will continue with this another time and you move on to your next. What's your journey like? Um, so uh, currently I have two papers that are undergoing review. Okay. Uh, one is at the Journal of Biomechanics and then the other one is at the Journal of uh, Translational Medicine. So uh, we've, we're able to build um, a full model of how um, a clot forms inside um, the arteries, um, of a human being um, under different conditions. So there are different patients, there are patients that clot very fast, those that clot a bit slow, and uh, those that have just a normal clotting profile or just, yeah. So we looked at those and um, I, I was able to describe some of um, the physics and um, the biochemistry that, um, that leads to the differences in changes. And I think what would be applicable is that we built what we call a reduced order model. So it's a simpler model that doctors can use in a clinical setup uh, to be able to diagnose or to tell whether this patient is going to form a, a full clot or this patient is not going to be able to form a full clot. Mm -hmm. So we use some machine learning principles mm -hmm. uh, based on the data that I was able to generate. Mm -hmm. And um, so that model, it's, 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 still a, uh, it's, a, it's a very um, simple, but it has a lot of utility and we're able to verify the results of our numerical modeling based on some experiments that my supervisor they did. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe that's, that's a very uh, good contribution and a lot can come from that. But um, at the moment, I, I don't think I have enough time to, <laughs> to run after it. But um, I think the, the general, uh, the general out, outputs would be a very good contribution if at all they accept that and they feel like this is groundbreaking. Okay. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you that. I know academia has its own challenges. Mm -hmm which is that, you know, you'll do groundbreaking research and then it just stays as a journal and it doesn't move to somebody, you know, championing it and actually taking it to application. Um, in terms of application, I think we are, we actually at the cusp of it. We, we just need to extend the model. So the model we built is in 2D, two dimensions. Mm -hmm. So we need to extend the model to three dimensions and, um, get more computational power because um, it's, it's, it's a very heavy model to calculate. So we were using the, the University of Cape Town high performance com computing platform and it took a very long time to, to be able to, to do that. So if we could go around that and someone else, I think maybe another PhD student or master's student would be able to yeah, push the, the model to the next level. Cool. So, I mean, you're doing so many things. You've got such a versatile academic uh, portfolio. Uh, one would be curious, what's your passion project? Like, what's the one thing that you want to identify tonight with? Um, so, it's, my passion project would be to see Africa um, participate in, in space. So, that's that would be like, what I want maybe my legacy to be about mm. to be able to start um, our own um, space agencies in Africa and to be able to launch our own satellites and um, to start thinking 
of mankind as a multi-planetary species. I think that's that that's that's enough for us to close off the podcast. Um, I don't know if you have any word of advice. There are young people that are listening to you, even elders. Doesn't just have to be young people. Anything you want to say to anybody listening to you? I think um, it, you can't you can miss what you don't know. So young people need to expose themselves to uh, different cultures. Uh, to different um, environments, to visit different countries, visit different companies, and learn and just expand their view of the world and not just have um, their view of the world to be limited on their current predicaments or just Botswana. So that would stretch them and help them to, I think, dream even bigger. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us on the Convalanche podcast. Thank you for Awesome. Um, and that was it on the Convalanche podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you found this. Um, I think I, it was a human interest episode, really. I hope you found this case study um, insightful and that you picked a thing or two. Uh, join us again the following week uh, as we continue to talk about this issue of unemployment, trying to understand it, but also trying to provide solutions towards it. Convalange. Expression, exposure, experience.